Let's open our Bibles, please, to Psalm 145. We got down to verse uh, 15. We said something about verse 15, but we'll pick up there. Verse 16 really is where we're supposed to pick up. Let's notice verse 15 and 16 to get the connection of what we want to say. Verse 15 says, Psalm 145, verse 15, The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. So, for all that look to God, He provides their needs. A lot of people want their needs supplied without looking to the Lord for them. And that's the big mistake. They look to man or they look to their own ingenuity or they look to their own wisdom or so-called wisdom. And they look to everything and everyone but the Lord. And for all that look to God for their supply, they'll find supply. It says, now look at that verse, the eyes of all wait, uh, and it says look unto thee in the marginal reference, Look unto thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. By the way, in due season, that means when we need it. That means in due time. Sometimes we're too hasty, and we want everything ahead of time. But God is always on time. He's never behind time. Even for Christ's coming, it says, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son. The earth had been left without communication from the Lord for over 400 years. There was a period of darkness and lack of communication and the prophet's time which were over and then God sent forth His Son. Then we find in uh, verse 16 it says, Thou openest thine hand and satisfieth the desire of every living thing. By God opening His hand, the supply is in His hand. And by the way, God is able to close His hand and withhold supply. And He does that for a purpose. For uh, different people, different nations, different individuals, from time to time, uh, we have to realize that God has all the control within His hand. His hand speaks of power. His hand speaks of control. His hand speaks of giving. You and I might need to learn why we have two hands. You know why we have two? One is for giving, and the other is for receiving. Sometimes we haven't learned how to receive either. I remember Clayton Bennett one time, he told me, he says, Brother Joyce, he says, you've always, you know, he wanted to give me something. He always gave me things. I says, Clayton, you don't need to do that. He says, Wayne, he says, you've got to learn how to receive as well as how to give. And I, he knew I always was one that wanted to do the giving. He wanted me to be learn the lesson of receiving. And I've tried to learn that from different love people in the church. And I can look around and see a bunch of them here that have been good to me and I thank you for it but anyway uh, Jesus did not uh, is it not quoted about Jesus that is said that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive in the book of Acts all right let's look at this thou openest thine hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing he's the one that gives to satisfaction and if we're satisfied with what he gives uh, then uh, there, there's a great contentment that's there look at verse 17. It says, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. He is right and holy in all his ways and all his works. His ways and his works both are worthy to be praised. And all of this psalm is a psalm of praise too. God is holy and God is righteous. He is so holy that uh, man cannot approach him upon his own without confession and forgiveness. God is holy and we have to come like Isaiah you know, when uh, God, uh, when Isaiah saw the vision of God and he said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am undone. He realized in his present condition he had needed repentance. 
And he didn't start blaming everyone else, you know. He says, woe is me. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, evidently Isaiah had been looking to King Uzziah, a great hero or a great personage, and he had him in his forefront. In the year that King Uzziah died, he says, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up. He was a prophet of God up to this time, but he hadn't yet seen that there was a higher look than man, and to look higher than man. And so finally when he got his eyes upon God, he realized what he was, and then he didn't start blaming other people for what he was. He took the responsibility himself. Well, we've got this business, it's as old as Adam and Eve, of passing the book to someone. I don't know. I don't know who it is. You know, or it's the other guy. And we really got that down pat in our uh, society today. And it's as old as Adam and Eve. Adam said, the woman that thou gavest me, he was as much as blaming God because he was saying the woman that thou gavest me. He says, the woman that thou gavest me. He wasn't any more blaming the woman than he was God for giving the woman. And why didn't he give, her, give him a, a woman that wouldn't cause him to do what he did? So he was really blaming God for God's goodness to give him the good woman. And then, the, and then Eve says, the devil made me do it, you know. And you know, you can just pass the buck so far and finally it lands home, doesn't it? So the Lord started in at the bottom of the ladder and he said, Satan, you're the one that's going to be cursed. And then he said, the woman, she's going to have her uh, uh, sorrow. And in sorrow, thou shalt multiply thy conception and bring forth children and in sorrow and then the, the man. So the Lord knows how to deal with every situation, doesn't he? But the Lord is holy. He is righteous. And then in verse 18, the Lord is nigh to all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. Now, He wants us to call upon Him, but He wants us to call upon Him in truth. And the Lord is near to those who realize they need Him. And if we call upon Him in truth, we'll draw nigh to Him in repentance and faith. James says, draw draw nigh unto God, and He will what? Draw nigh unto you. But if we're to draw nigh to God, we have to come as we are, and confess sin, and repent of sin, in order to draw nigh to God. Because... Uh, we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And when we think we can draw nigh to God with our unclean, unholy, and guilty feelings and situation, we can't draw nigh unless we come in repentance and say, God, I'm this kind of a person. I need your forgiveness and your restoration. And then God will start blessing us. You want God's blessings? You just do what God's Word says. The Lord is not nigh unto all that what call upon Him. To all that call upon Him in truth. Then the next verse. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear Him. He also also will hear their cry and will save them. He will hear and answer the prayers of those that fear Him. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord means a lot of things. It means, first of all, that we reverence God as holy. That we stand in awe at His presence. And then Linda and I were talking yesterday. There's a certain amount of fear that we should have of His might and of His power and of His judgment as well. And, and you know, some people say, well, I don't want to be afraid of God. I'm afraid of God. With all of His holiness and with all of His uh, 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 power to judge when I do wrong and to chasten when I do wrong, I, I'm fearful because I want to do right. I don't want that chastening hand of God. I used to fear my dad. And so much so that my dad never gave me a spanking, a whipping in my life because when he said, Wayne, do so and so, I knew it was his word. 
But now my mother did because I thought I could get by with some things. See, with her. But he was stern enough that he, he that I knew he never laid a hand on me in my life, I can honestly say. But I'll tell you what, when he spoke, I did what he said. I knew he meant business. He didn't have to say it twice. I've heard people say, well, this is the last time I'm going to tell you. He didn't tell me the last time. The first time was the last time. That was it. The first, second, last, third, fourth, and fifth is the whole thing. And you know, if we had uh, fathers today that would tell their children and say, this is what you're going to do, and take some authority and control, and mothers do the same thing, and if you do wrong about this situation, you're going to have to suffer the consequences. We need that today. And this old uh, modern philosophy of don't spank your child and don't lay a hand on them and don't do this and don't do that and don't scold them, that ought to be thrown out the window with all the rest of the garbage. Because the Bible says, train up a child in the way that he should go and when he's old he will not depart from it. The Bible says, do uh, not spare that rod either. And we're to correct children. And I don't mean be cruel. I don't mean abuse. I'm not talking about that. I mean correction with a stern, firm, loving hand. Remember the little lady that sings my father's hand? You know her. And preacher's daughter, by the way. But anyway, that's probably good. That's probably where she got that, too. But anyway, when we think of this, we think of the fact that God is to be feared. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear Him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. In other words, He will answer our prayers. If we expect God to answer our prayers, we need to meet the conditions. And if we don't meet the conditions, how is it that we could expect God to answer our prayers? And then He cares for those that love Him. Look in verse 20. The Lord preserveth all them that love Him. Remember? They keep Him in their love, and He keeps them by His love. Keep yourselves, the Bible says, keep yourselves in the love of God. We're to keep ourselves in the love of God. And then He will keep us by His love, because it says here, He preserveth all them that love Him. It's His business to, to preserve us. The Bible teaches that He preserves our souls. And by the way, forever. The Bible says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Though He fall, He, he delighteth in His way. Though He fall, He shall not be utterly... Cast down, for the Lord upholdeth with him, him with his hand. In uh, Psalm 37, verse 25, I have been young, and now am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. Now listen, depart from evil, and do good, and dwell forevermore. Here's the verse I want you to listen. Verse 28, Psalm 37, 28. You need to remember this one. For the Lord loveth judgment... And forsaketh not his saints, they are preserved forever. They are preserved, what, till they spoil, or for a while, or for a time. They are preserved forever. You remember when mothers can these uh, peaches and fruits and vegetables and put them in a jar, and if the seal, you know, it might last a year or two, and you open them up, and they're just as fresh as they can be and good. But if they've got a little air in there, and first thing you know, you open one up and it's spoiled was not preserved, was it? But God's kept us, preserved us, and He's going to keep us forever. It says they are they are preserved forever. But the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. You see, there's an opposite side to this story as well, isn't it? God is going to take care of His own. He cares for all those who love Him. The Bible says, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. And we find that there are many Scriptures 
Psalm 55, verse 22. Let me see if I can find it. Psalm 55, verse 22. It says this, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and He shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. For a moment it slipped my memory, and that's why I had to look at it. That's the first scripture my son ever learned. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and He shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. And he'd say Psalm 55, 22. I remember one time he'd look on his new socks. He'd get a new pair of socks, and it had, you know, on the bottom, they'd tell all the company that made them, and this and that and the other. He used to do that, more so than now, I guess. But anyway, he'd see all that printing on the bottom, and he'd say, Mama, read me that scripture. Everything that was written was scripture when he was a little boy. But he learned that verse of scripture. Psalm 55, 22. It's a pretty good verse, isn't it? Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you, is 1 Peter 5, verse 7. And then David calls upon all flesh to join him in giving praise to the Lord. Look at the last verse. He says, my mouth, the last verse of our text, holds your place always where we're studying. My mouth shall speak of the praise, speak the praise of the Lord. Does your mouth speak the praise of the Lord and give thanks and praise and glory to him for all the things he has done for you? That should be the constant theme of every child of God. Everything that we have and, and are and, and enjoy and is ours now and forever belongs to God. And his, the praise belongs to God. And let, not, and let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. Now look at the next one. Psalm 146, if you will. Psalm 146. And we'll talk about this one. It's a call to praise. This is a call to praise. And according to the Septuagint version, these psalms were written by Haggai or Zach and Zechariah from now on. From 146 on through 150 is the last of the psalms. And uh, it seems that they were written or at least used in the dedication of the second temple after the period of captivity in Babylon. Someone might say, well, what is the Septuagint version? This is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures by 70 scholars in the Old Testament days between 285 B.C. and it was finally finished by 150 B.C. There were two periods of times of this translation. But the Septuagints, really the 70, and translated the Hebrew into Greek. They're Greek scholars. And that, by the way, that uh, translation was in, in uh, use in Jesus' day because many of the scriptures that he quoted where you find a variation uh, between the actual words that you find in the prophets are words of that Septuagint version. That, that's why sometimes you do not find the exact wording in that exact order that you find in the days of Jesus when he had quoted a scripture from the Old Testament or from the prophets. But uh, it was a genuine translation of the, the Hebrew scriptures by these Greek scholars in, uh, into, the, into Greek. Alright, let's look at the first verse of this 146. It, it says, Praise ye the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. There are two things first. A call to public praise. He says, Praise ye the Lord. And then, a call to personal praise. He says, Praise the Lord, O my soul. Public and personal are both found in this. And then we find in verse 2, He says, While I live, will I praise the Lord. I will sing praises unto my God while I have any being." It's still the fact that it's personal, isn't it? Personal praise. He says, I. In verse 1, he says, O oh, my soul. In verse 2, he says, While I live, will I praise 
the Lord, I will sing praises unto the God, unto my God, while I have any being. The word I is used many times. Personal pronoun, I. So we find uh, that it's personal. Public and personal. And then verse 3 says, Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. Sometimes we think there's help from man. Well, there's no real help as God is help, helpful. And that's why the Bible says, Put not your trust in princes. doesn't mean that we cannot help one another to a degree in some things in life, or even spiritual. But the real help comes from God. And man's help is limited. Put not your trust in princes. And he's talking about the, the uh, greatest of men, the most honorable of men. Remember we gave you a verse, Psalm 118 verse 9 is what this refers to. But Psalm 118 verse 8 is the center reference of the Bible. So this reference is in accord with the next to the center reference of the Bible. If you have Psalm 118, you'd see those two verses tells you not to put your trust in man, and then it tells you not to put your trust in princes. And this one says, Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. It sums, sums up both of those verses, Psalm 118, verse 8 and 9, in whom there is no help. Verse 4 says, His breath goeth forth, he returneth to his earth. In that very, in that very day his thoughts perish. You see the frailty of man. No man is worth, worthy of our absolute confidence, put not your trust in princes. And by the way, man is so frail that we cannot put our trust in him in that sense. His breath goeth forth, he returneth to his earth. In that very day his thoughts perish. So man is going to die. Man is frail. The spirit returns to God who gave it, and the flesh to the dust out of which it was uh, fashioned at some point in time. The spirit leaves this body and we go to be with God. The spirit departs man and it, and there's nothing left but flesh and dust. And it goes back to the ground. But our spirit does go to be with God. And that's the wonderful and remarkable thing about man. The Bible says, Who knoweth the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth and the spirit of man that goeth upward? Let me give you that passage if I can find it. The book of Ecclesiastes, if you will. Maybe I can find it. Ecclesiastes. Let me see. Okay, chapter 3. And I want you to listen to this because of a very important thing. Uh, pick up with verse 19. The reason I'm saying this is Randy just had a lesson on Jehovah's Witnesses. They believe when a man dies, he's like a dead dog. And that's all there is to it, you know. But let me show you something here. And they read these two verses, verse 19 and 20, but they don't read verse 21. They'll read verse 19 and 22 to you out of their translation, which is basically what you see here, or somewhat close. Look, for that which befalleth the sons of men, you have it, Ecclesiastes 3, verse 19. For that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts. Even one thing befalleth them. As one dieth, so dieth the other. Yea, they, they have all one breath, so that a man hath no preeminence above a beast for all his vanity. All go into one place, and all are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. And that's where they stop. And they say, there's no difference between man and beast. You die, you're like a dead animal. Yes, but what does the next verse say? Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward? The spirit of man. Oh, we're talking about spirit now instead of body. Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward, and the spirit of beast that goeth downward to the earth? In other words, that's all of the beast, just like the body. 
of the beast, so is the spirit of the beast. That ceases to be. He doesn't have eternal life. He doesn't have life after death. But the spirit of man that goeth what? Upward. Goes to God. And that's why they don't read this verse. It'd be a little harder to explain, wouldn't it? I tell you what, most of the scriptures, and if you want some help on Jehovah's Witnesses, and I don't profess to know it all about them, but I'll tell you this, don't let them stop reading where they do. Just let them keep on reading. Say, okay, let's read a little further. Or let's go back a few verses. Get the whole picture and the whole connection, and then, brother, that'll throw a trap in them because they won't, they won't uh, accept that. Salvation by works, they believe. Okay. They'll quote Ephesians 2 uh, uh, or James where it speaks about works. And maybe Ephesians 2.10 says, We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And they'll confess a little part of that to be true, but they won't go back to Ephesians 2.8 and 9. that says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. Then I don't mind quoting the other verse because because we're saved by grace. Listen. For by grace are you saved through faith. That's said and done. And that not of yourselves is the gift of God. Salvation is the gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. That pretty well nails it down, doesn't it? Salvation. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We're a new creation. Unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That's the result of being saved by grace. See, Nothing wrong with preaching works. You preach salvation by grace. Not a thing. But keep on reading till you get the full story. Back in our text now. Psalm 146 and verse uh, 4. His breath goeth forth, he returneth to his earth. In that, in that very day his thoughts perish. They do as far as this earth and this world is concerned. A, de- a man that's dead does not think anymore. But he goes to be with God, and with God is all intelligence and all knowledge. And the spirit that was in him, this tabernacle of clay in which a man lives departs this body and he goes to be with the Lord and we don't know of all the intelligence that in the presence of God he'll be known there in the presence of Jesus. The Lord will know him and he will know the Lord. I'm glad that God made a difference between men and beasts, aren't you? If he didn't, there wouldn't be such thing as eternal life. So there's a life hereafter for man. And we better realize that these people that twist things up, you know, someone says, well, it doesn't hurt to listen to them. Brother, it does hurt. A little, you know, the Bible says a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. A little false teaching will cause people to be poisoned. It's just like, you know, I'm not going to take just a little strychnine. I just don't think I should have any of it. Do you want a dose of it? Say, well, a teaspoonful won't hurt you. Well, I'm not going to take a whole bottle, but you know, how about a teaspoonful? Well, I think I'll leave that off too. A little poison will just poison everything. And a little leaven in the dough will leaven the whole lump of dough. And Jesus speaks of leaven as a type of evil. The Bible speaks of it all the way through as a type of evil. And He says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And the disciples thought they, that Jesus was speaking about the bread because they had taken no bread. And come to find out, they, they finally understood he's, He was not saying beware because they had not brought bread, but beware because of, what they, of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And you and I need to beware of false teachings and false doctrine. If you remember in the book of 1 John, chapter 4, it says, Beloved, beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. And he says, For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And he tells us 
that those that confess that Jesus Christ has come in the, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that is the, the virgin birth, the incarnation of Christ, God being made flesh, is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that He is deity, that He is the Son of the living God, that He came down from heaven, is not of God. This is that spirit of Antichrist which you have heard that it should come in the world. And He says, even now is already in the world. It does make a difference how you accept and approach the things of God and the person of Christ and what you believe about it. And if you'll just stick to the Word of God. Hold their, if you want the best thing to do, hold their feet to the Scriptures. Hold their feet to the fire. And the Word of God will stand when all this, all this other stuff, they can say, well, we heard and this and that and the other came from this source and this is the way it is and try to make you feel ignorant and unlearned because they've got some Greek and Hebrew knowledge. Well, it doesn't make any difference if they do not have some spiritual knowledge along with it. And the spiritual knowledge applies to the fundamentals of the faith, the doctrines of grace, the Word of God, rightly dividing the Word of truth. And as Ron and Sharon saying a little bit ago, the dove is there is the picture of the Holy Spirit coming down and, and being present with us. And uh, God showed His love in sending uh, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove when Jesus was baptized. We need that anointing and that presence of God upon our lives. And in the Word of God to enlighten us and to help us to see and understand. Look at verse 4. His breath goeth forth, he returneth to his earth. You have Psalm 146, verse 4. In that very day his thoughts perish. But we've already talked about his spirit goes to be with God. Verse 5 says, Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Happy is he. The true source of happiness. The covenant God. The God of Jacob. For his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. The only man that's really happy is the man that can find the true source of happiness. Remember, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. You study Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. The very first psalm talks about this happiness. Remember the first psalm, we said those six verses of the first psalm are an introduction to the whole book of Psalms. And you have three verses pertaining to the righteous and the blessedness. You have three verses pertaining to the evil or the wicked. And it says, blessed is the man. Happy. And blessed means plural blessednesses are more than one blessing. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Do you think about the Scriptures day and night? Morning and evening? Day and night? In His law doth He meditate day and night. And He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which bringeth forth His fruit in His season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever He doeth shall prosper. Okay, that's the, that's the godly man. Happy here, it says. Happy is that he that hath the God of Jacob for his help. And then the ungodly man, what does it say about him? The ungodly are not so. They're not like that, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way, not only the ungodly, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You see, God's not only going to destroy, you know, this is a wonderful thought. 
He's not only going to destroy the ungodly and judge the ungodly, but even the way of the ungodly shall perish, so that it will be the way of the Lord at one day in time, someday. The way of the ungodly shall perish. Alright, let's get back to this. In verse 5, Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Look at verse uh, 6. Which made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that therein is, which keepeth truth forever. The Creator is the great wise, is great and wise and dependable. He made heaven and earth and sea and all that therein is, which keepeth truth forever. And then the next verse says, Which executeth judgment for the oppressed, which giveth food to the hungry, the Lord looseth the prisoners. What does He do? He administers justice. He executeth judgment for the oppressed. If a person doesn't have an attorney... We'll provide one, they say. Well, if you and I don't have one, God says, I'm going to provide you one. He's going to execute judgment for the oppressed. We we cannot afford the real attorney to fight against Satan, but he says, I've got one, and I'll provide him. The Bible says, uh, little children, these things write we unto you, I write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, if any man sin, we have, we, John says, I do too. We have an advocate with the Father, an advocate, an attorney, one to plead our cause, with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So we have Him who is standing before God, not in our righteousness, but in His righteousness. He's a very well qualified advocate. He which executeth judgment for the oppressed, which giveth food to the hungry. He is our provider. He not only administers justice, but he is our provider. Giveth food to the hungry. We'll learn to depend upon him. When we're reduced to hunger, and providence supplies our needs and our necessity as we stand in awe before God. He, he's the one that provides it. And then furthermore, he gives liberty. Look at this. The Lord looseth the prisoners. Justice, and then bread, and now Liberty. That's what God provides in this verse, seventh verse. Look at verse eight. The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. He gives sight to the blind. Jesus gave sight to the blind time and time again. You read in the Gospels. But He also gives sight to those that are blinded by sin and by Satan. You know, a lot of people are blinded. The Bible says the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And God is wanting to shine His light of the gospel into the hearts of men. And God has to take His, uh, by His Holy Spirit, prepare that heart and open the mind to receive this word, this living word, so that our minds will be open to the truth that this is the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins, that He was buried, He rose again the third day for our justification. And only the Holy Spirit can make us see that this is God's divine plan and purpose and uh, provision of salvation. If you preach that to some folks with blinded eyes, it's just like pouring water on a duck's back, as we used to say, or talking to a stump out here. But if God opens that heart and mind to receive the fact and the truth of Christ's purpose of coming, that He came to not only live but to die a sacrificial atoning death on the cross. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to what? Everyone that Believeth. Everyone that believeth. So it's up to you to believe the gospel. 
The Bible says, repent and believe the gospel. You say, well, uh, God has to open the heart by the Holy Spirit. Yes, He does. But He's doing that through His Word. I'm not uh, a bit concerned about God not doing what He said He will do. We're to do what we're told to do in response. The failure is on our part, not on God's part. The gospel goes out. The Word is preached. And people can accept it or not accept it. And the Holy Spirit is quickening your heart and causing you to realize you need to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. But if you don't do it, you're responsible for not answering that call. Hebrews chapter 4 says, Unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. Listen carefully. Unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them. Why? Not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. The only thing, the unprofitable gospel is the person that will not mix that gospel with faith in them that hear it. If you hear it and do not believe it, then it is unprofitable. An unprofitable gospel. So, the Word of God is to be believed. And by the way, it says the Word preached did not profit them. I believe that the preacher's business is the preaching of the Word and nothing else. You know, a lot of people say, I've been trying, folks try to get me detoured a lot of times on a lot of things. A lady wanted to give me a tape. She cornered me up here. I was getting a jug of water up there. It's not the first time she's tried to promote her uh, algae and this and that and the other. Says, I, I've got some preachers, even Baptist preachers, on this tape. You know, they say, I got them on this tape and they're promoting this food stuff and trying to, you know, they're preaching about it. And I said, I said, I'll get it next time. And anyway, she says, finally she says, if you don't want it, says, if you're not interested, well, uh, uh, I won't bring it by. And I said, well, I won't push it. So I think that was her answer. I tried to be as polite as I could about it without just saying, why don't you just take it and go on and do your business and let me do mine. Mine's preaching. I mean, you know, you go to your doctor and you find out what kind of diet you need. You go out here and you find out what kind of exercising you want. You go and do the things that you think is good for your health, and that's your business. I'm not going to argue about it. But my business is to preach the Word. And I think preachers sometimes can get detoured and sidetracked on every little cause that there is in the world and fail to do what we're called to do. That's why I try to keep Randy on the right track. Pretty good job, but he's getting there. He's doing good. I'm proud of him. But I'll tell you one thing. That's our business. That's our business. God didn't call me to do all those other things. Now, if, that, if you, as a Christian, if that's your calling, if you want to help someone that way, I have nothing against it. That's your business. But I'm not going to be deterred. You know, they want me to uh, participate in the American Legion and the VFW. I used to belong to both of them. I'm a volunteer fire department down Riddles Downs. I belong to everything. They want me to be the Boy Scouts uh, Scoutmaster and all this. Finally, when about two weeks of it into my ministry up here, or two months of it in Rio Dosa, I resigned every one of them. And I said, I can't go to every meeting there is, do everything there is, and do any justice to preaching the gospel. The Bible says, He that warreth must not entangle himself with the affairs of this life. And a preacher cannot be entangled in everything that comes along and do justice to the ministry of God's Word. And, and my priority is to study the Word, to try to have something to say, to try to make sure I know what I'm talking about, and to try to present the Word of God, and feed the souls of God's children, uh, bring, bring the light of the Gospel to those that haven't heard, and those that will receive Christ as Lord and Savior. And that's just where I, I, I stop. Thank you.
Okay. Let's see, where are we? Verse 8. The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. The Lord raiseth them that are bowed down. Remember the woman that was bowed down 18 years and Jesus raised her up. The Lord loveth the righteous. The Lord preserveth the strangers. He's concerned about strangers. He relieveth the fatherless and the widow. He made provision for the fatherless and the widow. Remember? He took care of them. In fact, He made provision that when they had reaped the fields... He says, you leave the corners of the field and you leave that which you've missed in the, in the harvest. And remember, Ruth the Moabitess came and gleaned in the field of Boaz. And old Boaz, being the type of Jesus, said, well, listen, not only let her glean where she has a right to, but let fall some handfuls of purpose for her. Give her a little extra. That was grace. She had a right to go and glean in the field, but she didn't have a right to have all the extra thrown at her, but God, Boaz says, leave some extra and provide uh, for... uh, I wish I had that. Boy, that's good. Let me go back. In the book of Ruth, I'll see if I can find it. In the book of Ruth, I want to read this for you. Joshua Judges Ruth. If I can get there real quick. It says this in chapter 2, in verse uh, 7. And she said, I pray you, uh, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and had continued even from the morning until the evening, until now, that she tarried a little in the house. I won't go into all that. Let's pick up with verse 14. And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime come thou hither and eat, eat thy bread. Listen, eat of the bread. And dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And, and she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed, and left. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not, and let fall also. This is grace. You have Ruth 3, verse 16. And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her. And leave them that she may glean them and rebuke her not. He said, Boaz said, not only give her what she's able to glean, because that was the provision that God made. But he says, here's going to be the grace. What the law could not do, grace did, didn't it? And he gave her more than she needed and a blessing. All right, we'll get back and finish this one psalm. It says in Psalm 146, verse uh, nine, the Lord preserveth the stranger, he relieveth the fatherless and the widow, but the way of the wicked he turneth upside down. Have you ever seen people say, well, everything's just turned in turmoil. You know, God can turn things right side up as well as upside down. Remember, they accused the apostles. They said they've turned the world upside down. I beg your pardon. That was their, They were turning it right side up. It was already turned upside down. But remember, they accused the apostles of doing that. And look at the last verse. It says, The Lord shall reign forever and ever. 